Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned With Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us now. Let's get started. If we can't show up as ourselves in our relationship, we've got little prospect of making it work sustainably in the long term. Surely, if we're hiding aspects of ourselves, we're going to cause ourselves a lot of stress and difficulty in keeping those certain things away from our partner or away from other people. So why might we choose to hide aspects of ourselves in our relationship? And how could these masks that we adopt affect our relationship? Today, I'm joined by Stephanie and Jennifer Page Rice, who are relationship coaches, spiritual revolutionaries, working with the LGBTQ plus community. And their mission is to bring more love to the world, one relationship at a time. So firstly, uh, warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you with me today. And then the first thing I'd like to ask is, um, what do we mean by a mask? When we talk about um, a mask, just give us a sense of what that might be. Well, a mask is when you put something on and pretend to be something that you're not. Or um, or you hide aspects of yourself that you're not very proud of or you're not embracing in your own way. Mm, I see. Fantastic. And I know in a minute we're going to look through these five factors that we've prepared, and I'm really excited to run through this. But just give us a brief, a few sentences on why we should be interested in this you know why this is so critical if we're going to have relationships that work why is this idea of masks so important to get our heads around well we believe that we need to show up authentically in relationships in order to have a sustainable relationship and showing up with masks on doesn't create authenticity and it creates this false sense of self that we can't breathe underneath. It's almost as if you're wearing a gas mask that's not giving you oxygen. Mm. And so if we're doing that in relationship, our partners don't know our real self. And then we lose our real self. I can't tell you how many people we've worked with who are at the edge of breakup and they're like, I don't even know what I want anymore. I don't even know who I am. And that seems to be the biggest reason for the divorce rate around the planet. You know, in Western culture, it seems to be rampant. Most relationships don't last more than three to five years Mm. because we're all showing up with these masks masks on. Mm. And so they're not sustainable for a long term connection. I see. Makes sense. And uh, yeah, we're going to be exploring this more. So thanks for that brief summary. Um, So in a minute, we're going to jump into these five factors that lead us to creating the masks. Um, But before I do that, I'd love to just ask you a bit about your own journeys, you know, into this work. I see you're so passionate about what you do. What's been your own journey or experience into doing what you do right now? Well, you know, our journey began... I guess, very typical of most relationships, you know, there's all of this passion and energy and emotion that starts any good relationship or any relationship. You're just, you know, it's that infatuation factor. So, you know, our our relationship did begin that way. But as Stephanie is talking about, these masks got in the way of our relationship and we weren't sure how to get rid of them. In fact, I don't even know that we knew that we had them to be able to get rid of them. So because of that, our relationship was not sustainable. 
And we did end up breaking up for quite a length of time until we were then willing to individually start working on some of these issues and removing some of these masks, finding out who we truly were. Um, once we did that, it led us back together. And mm. we've been working on it ever since and felt that, you know, we had something to offer to the community, to the world, to show them how to do this themselves. Because as I said, most people don't even realize you have them. That's such a great point, Jennifer. And yeah, as you say, so many people struggle, don't they? There's so much need for this work, people to make, helping people make sense of their relationships. So yeah, it's such a um, great, was there a particular point, Jennifer, where it sort of dawned on you that there was some mis maybe misunderstanding that you'd had in the past or some issue that had been holding you back? Was there a particular breakthrough moment? Well, I think the breakthrough moment for me was, you know, as anyone who is like in a 12 step program might know the term of, you know, you kind of hit your bottom. It's like, you know, you finally say, you know what, there's only up. I've got to do something because my life has become a mess. And if I want my life to be happy and healthy and joyous, I've got to do something here. I've got to start looking at me and what is creating these obstacles in my life. Mm. I see. So you, you got to that point where you felt there was something to really reevaluate. And that's how you came on this journey, really, uh, Jennifer. It was for me, without a doubt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I knew that if I didn't do something that um, I probably wouldn't be on the planet for a whole long time, um, <laughs> you know, and not that I was planning on taking my life. That isn't what I mean. I'm not saying I got suicidal, but I had a lot of physical ailments mm. that could have taken my life if I hadn't done something to heal some of the trauma and problems going on in my life so I could, you know, physically get better and then emotionally and spiritually as well. Yeah, fantastic. That's great to hear. Thanks for sharing that, Jennifer. And how about you, Stephanie? What would you say was your key breakthrough moment? Well, there was one of the things that happened was that Jennifer had become fit, very physically ill and I had grown up in a family that had a lot of chaos in it. And the way that I made sense of my world was basically by becoming the superhero of my family and being willing to take care of everything. And I had three, three younger brothers and taking care of them. And there was a moment that I realized that I had started doing the same thing in my relationship with Jennifer. I was working multiple jobs. I was coming home and making dinner. I was, you know, I was doing 90% of everything that needed to get done in a household. Mm. And it was not Jennifer's fault. It she was very ill, there's no doubt. But I was I got lost in the doing. And mm. I call it the putting on my Superman costume. And I couldn't see Stephanie anymore. There was just the costume, the mask of the superhero. And I did hit a bottom. I realized it probably a year before I hit my bottom and I started to try to change it within the system. But the system at that point was pretty embedded. And we're going to talk about systems a little while later again. Mm. And I couldn't do it from within. And so there was a point where I walked away because I knew that we were both drowning underneath the pressure of the system that we had fallen into and something had to change. It wasn't healthy for any of us at that point. And so I did do a drastic change. And I'm very grateful to say 
that both of us then went away, found our, our authentic self, and were then able to come back together and are able to identify our masks now when they show up and take them, dismantle them pretty quickly. But it's an ongoing task. The world wants us to wear masks. Yeah, that's right. I'm really looking forward to getting to this subject. And I'm curious, though, you know, after having come back from each of you going on your journeys and now, as you say, you're better able to recognize your masks. How has that impacted on your relationship? Well, I mean, it's given us the tools to not only work on ourselves individually, but to help each other collectively. Mm. So if something is going on with Stephanie, I might be able to say to her, Hey, honey, is there something going on? Can I help you? How can I support you? How can I hold space for you? Talk to me. Hmm. Let's communicate. Let's see what's going on. Because a lot of times it's not even anything between us. It's outside forces. It's external things that create a reason for us to have to put a mask back on. And Hmm. then we have to come home and say, Hmm, wait a minute, this isn't how it's going to work between us. How can we work together to help each other so we can stay authentic? Fantastic. That sounds really good. Did you want to add anything, Stephanie, to that? I do. The function of the mask is self-protection. It's to protect the most vulnerable parts of ourselves. And so when we get triggered, to use that word, by external forces or internal stimuli, we start to hide. That's the reason for the mask. And so when we start to feel each other backing up, drifting away, separating, that's when we know, ooh, there's a mask coming out and we can address it. It's like, I feel something here. What's happening for you? I feel like you're backing up, like there's a, there's a separation. What's happening? It's given us a new language because before we took it personally, Now we can say, hey, what's this mask? And we don't always use that particular language, but it's a great language to use to help you communicate about what's happening without blaming the other person. I see. I see. I love that way of uh, looking at it. That's right. It's almost a sense of detaching a bit and saying, okay, it's not about me and you. What's what's going on here? What's this mask that's coming into play? Fantastic. I love love that, um, that concept. So Amazing. Well, let's come on to our five factors then. So just to reiterate for listeners, we've got five factors here that lead us to creating these masks or living behind the masks. And we're going to look at them one by one. So let's kick off. What's the first um, factor that we're going to talk about? Well, the first one is about attachment wounds. And um, many people and probably a lot of your listeners have heard about attachment styles. It's kind of a new buzzword out there. And and so lots of people are talking about attachment styles, whether you have um, a secure attachment, whether you have an insecure, anxious attachment, disorganized, or some combination of those attachment styles. And don't forget avoidant attachment styles. Of course, avoidant attachment. Sorry, I I knew I had one that I was missing. Um, So there are many different attachment styles. And the theory states, you know, from the beginning, it starts with your attachment with your primary caregiver. They, you know, like to use the word mother, but for some, it's not a mother. It could be a father. It could be a grandparent. It could be a foster parent, but the person who is your primary caregiver and the way in which you attach as a child, as a baby, and the way in which the person provides support to you helps you 
determine what your attachment style is. And they used to believe that attachment style was set and that was it. That is the attachment style you have. So if you, if you had an avoidant parent, then you learned avoidant attachment and that's who you were going to be for the rest of your life. And they've now determined that that's not necessarily true, that our attachment styles can change based on our relationships and based on the work that we do. You know, I know that there are times I can be avoidant. Mm -hmm. I also know that there's times that I can be insecure. So um, what ends up happening is we get wounds throughout life. Mm -hmm. Again, some can begin in childhood, but other wounds can happen throughout other relationships that affect our attachment and our ability to attach in a secure way, because that is where we want to be. We want to have a secure attachment. But many times you're attracted to someone who kind of has sometimes the opposite attachment style. So one might be avoidant and one might be anxious. Mm. So when I get upset or worried, I may cling. That might be my attachment style. But some other folks may be like, mm, I need to go process by myself. Please mm. leave me alone. The more you push at me, the more I'm going to back up. So there's all these different dynamics. And so we get wounded because if I'm an insecure attacher and I feel the need to cling and she's running the other way, that causes a wound mm. for me, unless I see it. You know, once we, again, you know, once you start healing these things and the mask can come off, then you can see like, oh, wait a minute. That's just her way of processing. Because like for Stephanie and I, I'm very much an internal processor. So if I have an issue or a problem, I need to kind of stew on it. Mm -hmm. Think about it inside before I can then talk about it. Where sometimes Stephanie is more of an external processor. And so if she wants to talk about something and I'm shutting down, she now realizes that she just needs to give me a little space or I need to say to her, you know what? I just need a little bit of time to process this. Mm. And then those masks don't go up. Mm. I see. And the way that that's played out, I mean, I can, I can point pinpoint exactly back to where it's, it's come out. And I don't tend to be an anxious I tend to be an avoidant attacher. I tend to be more of the anxious one. Mm, My mother is a very off hands person. And so when I was young, I learned to handle my stuff on my own. Even though I'm an external processor, when I get hurt, I go within. And so that causes Jennifer to be more anxious and kind of like what to be moving towards me. And I become even more avoidant because I don't want, I'm uncomfortable trusting. And so I, my mask ends up being stoic and in control. And I mean, it's not who I am. I am very open and passionate and involved. So when I go away, there's this huge mask that goes on. And Jennifer is not an insecure person. And yet I have a feeling, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that your mom paid attention to you when you were upset. Too much so. Right. So Jennifer learned to be anxious and to be upset, got her the attention she needed from her mom. 
And yes, we are both using mom, but I can use other examples in my life as well. It's just the most succinct. So Jennifer's mom would, could only be attentive to her when she was upset. So Jennifer being upset is supposed to be a cue to me to pay attention. But for me, it's a trigger. I see. So it, it ends up creating a lot of masks because our vulnerabilities aren't being taken care of and attended to by each other. And so the masks get stuck on. I see. I see. So in that sense, the mask is, is when these patterns get triggered. Let's say yes. we have this innate sort of pattern, let's say, to be anxious in order to get attention. The, the point when we're under stress, we get triggered yes. and then the mask comes on. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, I see. And if you're not aware of it, then you take it personally. Mm. When, you know, we are getting so much better at now saying, okay, I see that this X is happening and this is what it does for me. How can we work through this together? Mm, I see. Yeah. So you've got like a language or an understanding to think, okay, we've got some idea where this came from and the ways that we're likely to react so we can manage it a bit better that makes sense. right and we can explain to each other why we feel triggered because something may have happened to me in the past that stephanie has no idea that she just triggered something in me by maybe just saying something and all of a sudden it brings up a memory to me and it, so for me that memory then causes a reaction within me and she has no idea what just happened because it has nothing to do with her yeah. it has everything to do with the wound that's inside of me that maybe hasn't been healed because I haven't worked on that yet Mm, or it just keeps coming up and I'm just not ready to deal with it. So I just kind of stuff it away. Amazing. That makes a lot of sense, uh, Jennifer. Thanks for that. So um, for listeners, I just think it's useful to think about what kind of patterns we may have learned, you know, when we were growing up and how they could be showing up. And, you know, maybe some of these examples that Stephanie and Jennifer I've been sharing kind of resonate and we think, oh yeah, that sounds a bit like what I do or, ah, that's why my partner might do that. So mm-hmm. it's really useful lens, isn't it? To think about our relationship and the times we may struggle. So that's a really great. Um, it is. And, you know, but I think the most important piece that people need to realize is that one, you can change your attachment style. That is possible. And two, that we all kind of cross over to all of them at some point. So even though I might think of myself as more of an anxious attacher, I also can be avoidant and I also can be disorganized, but I also can be very secure. So, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows. We have a basic idea of what our main attachment style is, but I just don't want people to think that, oh gosh, I have an anxious attachment style and I never can change. And that's just who I am. And I'm stuck with that. And I'm going to be anxious for the rest of my life. Mm. I don't want people to believe that because things can shift and change for you. Yeah, that's a really great point. Very empowering as well, isn't it, Jennifer? When you've, you know, when we become more aware of these patterns, we can do something about it, you know, if we choose. So that's a really, really important point that you just made. Thank you. Um, amazing. Let's go on to the next point, the next um, factor that you've identified that leads us to wearing a mask. What's the, the second one? Well, the second one has led, our first one has led perfectly into the second one, which is trauma. It's sort of connected. It doesn't have to be. Um, but these traumas, things that have happened to us in our past, and this can be throughout our lifespan, create the need to put on a mask because mm. we end up creating a whole bunch of beliefs about ourselves 
based on the things that have happened to us and those beliefs become a mask. So an example would be if I have been, if someone has been um, neglected by their family, um, emotionally neglected, not even anything. I mean, we have, you know, serious neglect of someone doesn't have a roof, they don't have housing, they don't have food and, and clothing, those basic needs. But then there's also the love and belongingness need. If we just missed out on that, we end up creating this belief in ourselves of being unlovable or unwanted in our life. And so we put this mask on to cover up that belief so we can get through our life and navigate the workplace and relationships and school and all these things, believing that we're whole, or at least the outside gets to see that we're whole. Inside, we have this, this false belief system based on something traumatic that happened to us. And so we join in relationship, you know, with a beloved, with a friend, trying to hide this broken part of us. Mm. And that broken part of us, it's sometimes subconscious. We don't even, we're not even necessarily aware of it, but it shows up in our behavior. Like, you know, not taking care of things properly, um, not being willing to talk, not having the guts to say the hard stuff because we're too afraid of losing someone because we have this fundamental belief that we are not enough. So therefore we end up kind of living small based on this and living safe and not our true selves. And you know what? After a while, that's boring. You might show up in the beginning of the relationship, all passionate and wonderful and, and exciting, but as your triggers happen, as things show up, your masks get layered on mm -hmm. and you hide more and more because you don't want your beloved to see that darkness within you. I see. And the, the more you're around somebody, the more chances they have to see the, the, the dark parts of you. And so we put on the masks to try to avoid anybody seeing those. I see. So it's really the mask is to avoid other people seeing the unhealed traumas that we've got that we're still exactly. suffering with or that they're still working in us somehow so the mm -hmm. mask is a way to stop people being aware of them is that mm -hmm. right 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 we you know because we're ashamed of some of the trauma that maybe happened because oh i feel partially responsible for it or you know i'm just totally unlovable because if someone can do that to me, then I can't be a lovable human being. You know, I'm now damaged goods or, I mean, there's so many reasons that we put these masks on. And a lot of it is because we have a lot of shame about the trauma. That makes sense. So yeah, for, for listeners, I'd be great for people to think about how these kind of issues or unresolved traumas may be still impacting on your relationship. How could they be showing up or causing you to, you know, adapt your behavior to stop anyone seeing it. And uh, yeah, it's a really useful way to, to, to look at it. And what are the most, what would you say the most common like causes of trauma are for people? Oh goodness. Well, Society in general, sometimes, <laughs> sorry to say it, but you know, we get a lot of trauma in our society from, you know, the rules and the regulations of you must do it this way, you must do it that way. You know, with us being in the LGBT community, the constant trauma of having to come out knowing if we're safe, you know, this is trauma, this is traumatic. 
for folks in the LGBT community, for sure. Absolutely. So society, and I guess then obviously the, from our relationships, our upbringing, it really can be from anywhere, can't it? I guess yes. Yes. There's two types, two main types of trauma. The first is shock trauma, and that can come from a natural disaster, an accident, a fire, anything like that. And that has a certain effect on us and our sense of self. And then there's relationship trauma, which is really an up and coming area. We've been studying it for a very long time, but it's really starting to become of age. And we're starting to really understand how relationship problems cause trauma within us. Hmm. And that because the trauma happens in relationship, you know, it's going to have an effect on the future relationships. And so relationship trauma in any form is huge. Mm -hmm. And you can have relationship trauma on top of a shock trauma. So like if you had, if you were in a fire and lost all of your belongings and then no one soothed your emotions and there was no time for that. So you didn't get to resolve the emotional disconnection that happened from that. You now have relationship trauma as well. Because you don't trust the humans who've been around you. Yeah, that makes sense, Stephanie. Absolutely. You know, or, or another example is if you know you went through some sort of sexual abuse and there's people that don't believe you, mm. then the the abuse happens, and that's the one time. You know, hopefully only say it happened one time. You know, say you're say you were molested or raped by an individual, and people aren't believing you. So then you have the relationship trauma of now I'm not believable. People don't ever believe what I have to say, and it can go on and on and on. And then you don't feel worthy or believable in anything that you do. I see. Such an interesting area when you talk about relationship trauma, because, you know, if a trauma has been caused in a relationship, whether it's with a parent or a partner or a friend, it's very hard to, how it, hard to see how it wouldn't come up in our relationship. Exactly. Because, because we're going to be seeing similar situations or parallel conversations interactions so i guess it's going to be so so easy for those things to get triggered again aren't they absolutely yeah. and you'll often hear people if when you work with folks that they end up realizing that the person reminds them of someone else like oh my gosh you're so like my father right you're i married so my father and <laughs> at first it might have felt at home and comfy but then it starts to feel like oh my gosh i just worry i just married my worst enemy because this is the person who hurt me the most. Mm, that's right. And, and, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say there could be a certain um, comfort and familiarity, couldn't there? I guess that's yes. the, the difficulty because in some ways it feels like really, mm, yeah, I'm familiar with this. I know what this looks like. This is, this is recognizable. But mm -hmm. then realize that actually maybe it's recognizable for some reasons that we maybe don't like. And then we, we're stuck with a dynamic that doesn't work any better for us than it maybe worked for our parents. Right. Right. And the fact is that a, a lot of those can be coming from an internal stimuli. Like you might look just a hair like somebody I know, you know, like my brother, for instance, and I have a lot of relationship trauma with a sibling of mine. So in the beginning, I might be able to move that aside. But if I get really triggered and you and I are having a conversation and you say something that sounds just like him, Ooh, now I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm talking to my brother. And now you're not even, you aren't even being seen in the relationship anymore. My brother is. And now comes that love hate part. 
that, that's so challenging. And I've definitely been in that situation where uh, I've sort of seen this, where it's like the person's talking to you, but you kind of feel, are they really talking to me here? Because I don't really mm-hmm. recognize this entity that they're addressing. Right. And then through mm-hmm. the conversation, it turns out it's more someone else and you're just a like a body, really. Um, right. Presenting something else. Um, mm-hmm. That's a tough, that's a tough one to, to deal with, isn't it? It sure is. Because most of the time you're not even aware of it. Mm. You know, and that's the whole thing about any of these masks is that people aren't even usually aware that they have them on. And we have to become aware before we can figure out how to take them off. Mm. That's right. If you don't even know you're wearing a mask, it's not much help, is it? It's just, well, that's who I am. That's me. So we need a level of awareness. It's a really, really great point, Jennifer. Um, Let's move on to the third uh, area that we want to cover, the, the third factor that causes us to create masks. Um, conditioning in our education system, you know, um, and I know that we're from different countries, but I'm sure it's very similar in any industrialized country. There are certain ways in which we are expected to act in the education system. You need to sit at your desk. You need to get your work done. You need to be quiet. You need to listen, whatever it is. There are things that we are taught from the very beginning in our education system to be able to fit into that box of exactly what they want you to be. They want to frame you to become a productive citizen, whatever it is you need to finish. You know, you need to get through grade school. You need to finish graduate high school. You need to go on to college or your university. So all of these conditionings may not fit for everybody. You know, most of us don't fit in a box. We all have a little bit different way of being in the world. And we're not allowed to do that in the education system for the most part. Um, So it can be very traumatic. So because of the constraints or the limitations of the education system, we end up learning to wear masks to cope. Is Is that right, Jennifer? Yes. For sure. I mean, you know, we have a really good example. We have a um, an individual and it's our uh, offspring. I don't want to say our son anymore because he is non-binary or they are non-binary. So we have an offspring who is almost 19 years old and has high functioning autism. And throughout grade school was we were always told that he was oppositional. He was defiant. He didn't follow the rules. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And he was being traumatized through all of this and come to find out that he actually has autism, that it's not because he doesn't want to, it's Mm. because he couldn't. There is a major difference between refusing to do an assignment and not being able to complete the assignment. Mm. And because he was bright and didn't have what was considered a low IQ, he was considered defiant and oppositional. Rather than learning disabled. Rather than learning disabled. I see. Yeah. And that made it to the point where he could not function in mainstream education. We had to pull him out and we had to homeschool him because it just was traumatizing him over and over and over again by being told that he was lazy, that he wasn't trying hard enough. When here was a kid who was really trying. But because of a disability that was kind of invisible in many ways, yeah. he was not given the education that he needed. I see. I see. That makes sense. So what kind of mask did he have to put on? How, I mean, how did that 
How did that impact? Well, I think that this is an interesting case because Ian refused to put a mask on. And so there was no way for them to, to be part of the school system. So a more subtle, in a more subtle case, the masks come on when you can get by. I remember distinctly a friend of ours when our, our little guy was in f- like five or six years old. Ian was incredibly bright in mathematics and had a bestie, Caleb, who was also incredibly good at mathematics. And Caleb had an uncle who was a math teacher. And the mom spoke to the uncle to say, you know, what can we do to inspire Caleb to continue to excel in math? And the the brother said, oh, don't worry about it. They all tend to be the same by the end of high school anyway. Now, how do you take a five-year-old who's brilliant in math and then become mediocre by 12th grade, by the time they're 18? I also read a study that said children are at the height of their intellect at the age of five before they enter the educational system. So we take on this mask of fitting in in order to be the same as everyone else in order to make it. Our child wouldn't do that. So he would not, he could not fit in to the general population. That's the consequence of refusing to put on the mask. We're gonna kick you out. So in order to fit in to the population, you hide your exceptions. Hmm. An exception meaning the very good or the very bad. However, we decide to put it. So the young person, Caleb, was told to be in the middle in math. You know, you don't need to try hard. Just answer the questions on the test. Get through this. Hmm. Rather than, ooh, I can, they, they taught, teach children how to regurgitate rather than to think and see for themselves. And boy, listen to the news media. It's telling us to regurgitate things because it's giving us little 30 second sound bites that we can repeat easily to our friends. Mm, so around the water cool, we, cooler, we have these very similar conversations drive through any city in the, in, in the United States and probably everywhere else in the westernized world. You see the same 20 stores. So yeah. we're living in this very mundane experience where we're not able to be our true self and our exciting, passionate, amazing self. So if we're living in, and I I often talk about it with our clients, that you're living within negative one and positive one on the scale of 10, Mm. 10 being the lowest, negative 10 being the lowest and positive 10 being extreme joy, we're living in between the ones which is this mundane, boring thing. And so we wake up one morning after 15 years of marriage and we look at our partner and all we can see is gray. I see. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point, isn't it? I I guess this point about the educational system relates somewhat to society where it it kind of tends people towards a norm. Like in the educational system, if you fit in and you're average, it kind of works okay. But if you're not, if you have different needs or different special abilities, then it's more difficult, like any, I guess, mm-hmm. like lots of institutions have that quality, don't they? Um, yes, I guess that brings us on to the next point, which is linked, I guess, wider to more sort of wider societal um, dynamics that 
Um, yeah, the fourth point, would you like to introduce that, please? Okay. Homophobia. It is a system in which we live where being different is not good. It's not acceptable. It means you're an outlier. And so we live in this heteronormative society. Everybody expects there to be a male and a female, 2.3 children. And if your family looks like that, you're a go. And if it doesn't work like that, there's, you're just not sure if you're safe in the world. You're not sure if everything's going to be okay. You don't know how to navigate it because the only way that we know how to navigate something is in that norm. And homophobia creates an out, a group of outsiders. And it, it also stops people from doing that internal exploration of who they are as a sexual being. And when you think about sex, think about creativity and, and life force and passion, not just about what happens in a bedroom. It, it's so much broader than that, our sexuality and our life. And so to, to be someone who is gay, I came out at 29. Jennifer came out at 21. 21. And we had to have some process for it. We didn't just grow up and start dating people. We had to figure out who we wanted to date. There's like confusion there. And it's mm. like, okay, well then if I'm gay, then what, how do I show up in the world? Do I have this like super gay mask or not a super gay mask? And if how I, are people going to respect me? How are they going to accept me? I lost friends when I came out. Mm. Why should that happen? I was no different yesterday than I am today. All I did is tell you that I was gay, but yeah. now you don't want to be my friend. What's that all about? Parents who walk away from their children, children who walk away from their parents. What is that? It's interesting, isn't it? You know, we said right at the beginning about being our authentic self. And mm -hmm. it's almost like if we can't be our authentic self, then what else are we kind of playing for? You know, what, what else are we really going to experience or you know, how are we going to be at our, at our best? If exactly. we can't show up as ourselves. So uh, it's interesting, isn't it, how like society or homophobia, you know, this underlying current that you're talking about almost like stops people from then expressing themselves authentically. Exactly. And the thing is, is that what we found in our work with ourselves and with others is that when we're out in the world that we have to wear a mask of fitting in, how do we then take that mask off when we come home? and our face-to-face -face with our family, our beloved, where it supposedly is safe to be, I identify as a lesbian. So it should be safe at home to be myself. But if I'm all masked up and barriered up outside of home to be safe as I go through the world, and I, it just, it's like if you wear a backpack all day and you can come in and start walking around and doing everything and forget to take it off. Or, you know, sometimes you walk in and the norm is that you wear, you take your shoes off. But what today I've just, I've been wearing them so long. I forgot that I even had them on and I don't take them off and have that feeling of freedom. Mm. Well, if I'm wearing a mask, I might forget I have it on. Yeah. I see. And so how do I then connect with my beloved? If I'm wearing a mask that I've forgotten about, because it's so normal out there. It's a really great point. And I'm just thinking that particularly for younger people, maybe people that haven't, you know, come out yet or they're having certain feelings or making sense of their 
sexuality. And I guess it doesn't take many negative experiences to kind of get the idea lodged in your head that there's something wrong with me or I can't really express this part of who I am. Any, any thoughts about that? I mean, it happens to so many young folk out there because especially if you have a family that's that you know is not going to accept who you are, you know, you have these thoughts of I'm not going to, my family's not going to love me anymore. So then I'm not lovable to anybody. And so I'm broken and there's something really wrong with me. So they either suppress that part of them and do what is expected of them and go out, you know, if you're a female and you know that you're a lesbian, you still go out and you marry a man because that's what's expected of you because that's what's going to allow you to stay fitting in with your family and society. See, that's a great, really great point. What would you say if you could give a message for anyone listening who is maybe you know, resonating with this point and maybe they've got a sense that there's something they want to be more authentic about, which could be the sexuality or something else, and they're sort of struggling with it. What, what kind of advice would you give someone in that situation to be able to work through that? Um, number one, give us a call. We'll help you. Number two, <laughs> um, you know, create a practice where you are paying attention to how that feels you know, start asking yourself, what is this mask that I wear? How am I showing up in the world? Start to just question this. And, and why do I feel this way? So turn within and start looking at yourself and maybe even start looking at other people and see how they show up differently in different places. Just to start to understand this concept of that and, and start to love yourself underneath the mask which is way easier said than done. But start thinking about what, what are your qualities that you love about yourself? Are, are you clever? Are you funny? Do you have a great singing voice? Do you just love music? You know, what do you have to offer to the world that you're proud of? And start to build on that. Fantastic. That's really, really powerful. Thanks, Stephanie. And that brings us on to our, our last factor yeah, around, uh, yeah, talk us through the final uh, of the five factors that lead us to creating masks, please? You know, we put family systems because it's a very big dynamic in who we are and the way we show up in the world. And family systems can be um, from, you know, from the beginning, your mother, father, or whoever were your primary caregivers and your siblings. And it's the way in which the family works together. And the way in which your parents expect you to be. So in some families, you know, the eldest has a certain role that they need to play. Then you have the middle children, middle child and or the younger child and the way in which everyone is supposed to show up. How is the female supposed to act? How are the males supposed to act in the family? And so these systems become what you know. And it may not be exactly the way in which other families show up in the world and or the way you want to show up and it's not making you comfortable. You know, I was the baby of the family, yet I still kind of played the role of the caregiver. So it was a very confusing family system because in other families, I saw the younger child or sibling kind of being the baby and the one taking care of. So it just was very confusing for me. Mm, I see. Uh, and again, you know, different families have different systems. 
And then you get into relationships later in life and you bring some of these roles with you. And then other people bring their roles and they can be conflicting. So it can be very confusing. I see. Yeah, makes sense, Jennifer. What else would you think? You think, Stephanie, what, how, do you think how do you say family systems impact Stephanie? Well, I think that the families, just like with a lot of these other systems that we're talking about, they withhold love if you don't act the way that makes them feel comfortable. So if the family system, and every system is one that wants to stay the same, to function, it wants to survive. What do we call it? Um, Homeostasis. Homeostasis, right. So a system wants to live in homeostasis. So therefore, you must fit in to some role within that family system in order to preserve the homeostasis. If you want to go outside that role, people start getting pretty agitated at you mm. because you're not, you're, you're messing us up. You're, you're, you're harming our homeostasis and we're not okay with it. And so people with withdraw their love. They're not going to give you attention. And I mean, we talk about it even in psychology, you, you, a reward the positive behavior, you withhold anything from negative behavior in order mm. to extinguish it. Sure. It plays out all the time. And it, mm. that's the other thing that happens in schools. To get the praise of the teacher, which is what everybody's going for, for the most part, all of us people pleasers, if we don't get an A on the test, do well in school, fit in, have an excellent attitude, same thing at home. If we're not, if we don't have a good attitude, if we don't, whatever, 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 our parents are turning away from us. Our siblings are turning away from us. Our grandparents, our uncles, whatever. And so we, we find those masks in order to get what we need from the system. I see. Yeah. It makes sense. Fascinating. It's such a, uh, a complex area, isn't it? You know, the family systems and how they, how they shape us, you know, how we become, mm -hmm we are so it's a really fascinating area so I, I just want to say massive thank you for you know sharing all this wisdom and insight on these areas it's been really really um really useful um i wanted to ask as well how can people keep in touch with you both to find out more about your work well the best way to find us is on our website because our website then can connect them with our facebook our patreon page and our um our website is enchantedawakenings.org that is where um, there is the best way to find us. That's the hub. And we are a .org. We are a nonprofit organization. So everything that we, you know, we do ask for um, reimbursement for some things that we do, but all of that is being put back in so that we can put it back out into the community in order to, our big dream right now is to create a brick and mortar place where especially adolescents have a safe place to come and get all the things that they need in um, in these areas where they're not getting their services met. Fantastic. And remind us, whereabouts is it you're based? Well, where do you operate from? We are in Pennsylvania in the United States. Okay. Amazing. What, what city, just so if anyone happens to be in your... We are in central Pennsylvania, so we are sort of centrally located between York and Lancaster. Yeah, yeah. Lancaster, Pennsylvania is the famous place that we're near. Yeah. yeah most people know Lancaster because it's Amish country, yeah. where Amish country kind of came from. I see. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I'm sure our listeners have got a huge amount of value from it. So massive thank you from me. Um, any like final thought from you or final takeaway that you'd like to lead the listeners from each of you? You know, I think the most important thing is approach all of this with curiosity, not with judgment. Because if we start thinking about who we are and the masks that we wear, sometimes we can start judging ourselves. And then we aren't necessarily doing ourselves any justice to heal from any of these things. So we have to bring curiosity to it and say, huh, I wonder what that is. I wonder where that came from and what can I do about it? Instead of saying, oh goodness, I'm broken or I'm bad or I am, I have all this shame and I'm not worthy. I see. So curiosity to explore these things uh, in an open way. It's fantastic. Thanks, Jennifer. How about you, Stephanie? Final thoughts? I think to add to that, and, and I love that thought, is a little bit of tenderness to ourselves and each other knowing that these wounds are underneath the masks and that they came for a reason. And by treating ourselves with just a little bit of love and tenderness, we can heal those wounds and we won't need the masks any longer. Okay, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us. And please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review. Who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message? Share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life. See you on the next episode.